Welcome to the Clients and Conversions Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Clem, and I've helped fellow entrepreneurs and business owners just like you harness the power of social media to grow your audience by the hundreds, 2x their launch sales, and have client leads banging down the door to book a call with you. And I'm the first to say that hustling and searching hours online for your next client or student is not the vital ingredient to your success or even your happiness. This podcast is for driven entrepreneurs, from coaches to course creators and everything in between, to access practical and actionable tactics on everything from how to get clients with Instagram advertising and really unlock the keys from sales and social media to get growth with the simplest tools possible while keeping it just long enough to get you through your walk, drive, or workout. So stick with us for this episode and the ones to come so you can get more clients and sales in less time. Now let's get into it. Hey guys, today we have on Kat. Kutrinska, founder of Invested Me, who teaches about money, personal finance, and investing. She helps entrepreneurs to master the game of money, stop living from payday to payday, and maybe even retire earlier than they even thought possible. Welcome to the show, Kat. Hi, hi. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I am too. And the great thing is too, that you're probably the first person I've had on here who is mainly focusing on money and especially around investments. And I think this will be a really fun and also educational episodes for a lot of listeners. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, so I'd love to begin this show kind of like with the beginning of your journey and then end with the present and future. So can you tell me a little bit about how you grew up to kind of what led you to going down this path? Um, okay, so I, I grew up in, in post-communist Poland mm-hmm. and my parents were all about security. This was essentially, you know, the, the type of world that they grew up in. Um, marry, ideally rich, um, settle in a one job that will pay you pension and stay day and stay stay there until you retire. Mm. And what I've sort of found into going into my adult life is I've reached this level of success, and it took me a good couple of years to actually realize that I was living the perfect life that my parents would have wanted for themselves when they were younger. And then it took me a couple of years to actually realize that that is the security, for example, part of it wasn't actually what I wanted. But then also I grew up around the mentality that, you know, money wasn't something that could be talked about um, Mm -hmm. quite openly. And it certainly wasn't a subject for women that, you know, striving to, get money and get rich was somehow evil. So this is essentially how I grew up and then how I started showing up in my life as an adult, which um, for obvious reasons started causing me some issues um, when I sort of um, really opened up my business. Um, Even though, even before that, I was never good with money. Um, I was always just spending myself to greatness or not even um I I was just quite bad with managing money ever since I remember um so that was really the sort of start of my journey and my and my background so I came to the UK at the age of 19 and just slowly and surely I've just um, settled my life over here now so I've got um, a portfolio of a couple of properties. Um, I do invest in stock markets. And that's really what I'm focusing on right now, actually, with all my studies. It's it's all about the, the money, the investing, and the behavioral economics up, up behind it. So that's just looking at um, psychology behind why we spend the way we do and the type of 
irrational thoughts that go into our minds um, as we spend. So, yeah, that's me, really. Well, I love that part, too, that you mentioned is that in this space, I think one of the biggest misconceptions for a lot of people is thinking that investments or personal finance can only be done later in life or it's, you know, talked about more so then versus people who are, you know, in their 20s or so forth. So I'm curious for you, what was kind of like the light bulb moment that went like, oh, I should really start to learn more about investing or finance? Ah, yeah. So, well, my my light bulb moment was really a crisis when I was put in front of um, a very uncomfortable time in my life when I I had to change something. So... I wasn't I wasn't born in, in, in a rich family family. I wasn't good with money. I was really bad promiscuous spender for a majority of my life until suddenly I couldn't be any of these things anymore. So what I had a long um history of is allowing third parties to control my assets and to control my money so then when I started investing in properties and then I started my own business I had um, a a person a lady that used to be my friend um, that I used to consider my friend anyway and she used to manage these properties for me and she didn't just do a very good job I don't think that she ever meant it but the, the type of damage that she did to my finances were just beyond um, beyond comparison. Like in the first in the first year of business, I clocked five digit debts. Oh my goodness! It was just ridiculous. Every single every single of my properties um were was damaged. All the tenants have left with their rias and uh, with rent arrears. All the properties were damaged, and I was just left with bills upon bills upon bills upon bills. So at some point, I had to face a very uncomfortable decision whether to just declare bankruptcy because it wasn't the time to sell any of the properties and I needed the money to pay those bills way quicker than I could have realistically sold a house. And interestingly enough, when I was going through all this crisis that has lasted, you know, well over a year, um, I was still spending quite badly. So any sort of injection of cash that I would get, of course, I would cover some of my bills. But then I would also just have these um, quite bad investments that or what I thought was investment at the time. So I was just trying to desperately get out of the situation. But my actual sort of day to day management of money didn't improve. Until I, it got to the point where I had to seriously consider and face up to the um, real thought that I might actually need to go bankrupt and just declare bankruptcy. So as I was sort of sitting there and filling the application, um, I I mean, obviously there were tears and all that, but it, it, it really did make me realize that I haven't actually changed ever how I ever managed money, look look at money, how I made it and saved it and how I budgeted. So instead of actually declaring bankruptcy, I've decided to give myself another six months and just change absolutely every aspect of my finances. 
And things gradually started improving. But then also I started realizing that book after book after book that I've read, um, I got really interested in the subject. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed to just fit my my natural strengths and my natural um, you know, areas that I kind of get attracted to. So one thing led from the from another, and I've been in it now for the last um, five years, and I haven't really looked back. So it's been it's been brilliant so far, and it's it's very much what I'm intending to do for for the rest of my um, my my career now. That's amazing, and I'll say too when it comes to finance, I've noticed the people who are usually the best with finance have probably had one or two of those big stories when it comes to something happened, you know, something in your life radically shifted and you had to make a decision on which path you wanted to go, like you said, down bankruptcy or down the more investment path. And um, to hear how much it changed you just not only in that instance, but the last months, the months going forward, what was for you, especially when you're in that space, I'm assuming you had to really keep your mindset, like your mind focused and like kind of with blinders on so that you wouldn't worry about all that's going on around you so did you struggle with any type of um like limiting beliefs or blocks around money when you went into the space of saying you know this is the six months I'm gonna do it was there any thoughts that came into your mind that were trying to like push you down yeah there there was definitely a you know a couple of mindset things I mean the, the the amount of debts that I had at the time and you know these were the the credit card debts and I had to start like remortgaging the properties to keep them afloat and and all that there was just so much going on that at the back of my mind I was thinking like I really do feel like I'm winging it right now mm-hmm. I have no idea what I'm doing but actually looking back at it now I was making the right decisions it just at the time it really didn't feel like I had it I had it all together, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was still just juggling things without really having any clue or the slightest idea how to get out of this um, this hole. But very quickly, what I have noticed around the, the sort of sorting the finances is the confidence that I got from knowing exactly where I was, even though back then it was a bit, you know, sad, (laughs) to having a plan that I knew I was following to a T and seeing the results from week to the next and from month to the next gave me that sense of quiet and subtle confidence that I really struggle to describe to people. So, yeah, there was there were times when I was just feeling like a duck on the water with my little legs just mm-hmm. flapping behind, you know, underneath the sort of the water surface. Um, but actually, I was I was doing pretty well, pretty quickly with just getting getting myself back on back on my feet, really. So um, there was definitely issues around mindset, but they were actually sorted almost on their own journey mm-hmm. um, because with the fi- the beauty of the finances I guess and with the obsessive mind mind like the one like I've got is 
I track everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. So there isn't any guesswork around my finances. I know exactly where I am. That so, is, I mean, that is amazing. And I think what you just mentioned, listeners need to hear that three times over, is that your finances or money should never be um, a worry or a second guess. You shouldn't have to worry about what's in your bank account right now. You should be able to know because that's when a lot of, like you said, that confidence, that certainty that came that you had inside of you, I think really came from as well knowing, okay, this is exactly what I have today to work with, or this is where I know it's coming from versus so many try and just not look at their bank account. Yeah. And it it is easy not to look at it when you kind of know that what it's going to say, you know, you're not going to like it. But, you know, surprisingly enough, when you start tracking things, you do realize that things aren't actually as bad. And because we, we, you know, we all get gremlins like Bren Brown um, talks about gremlins mm-hmm. in her books. But when you kind of sit there with your numbers and you do, you know, find the, the courage to face them, whatever your gremlins m- might be talking to your ear, you have data in front of you that says otherwise. Mm-hmm. So for you to maintain the mindset that you perhaps are not worthy of success and you're not making it right, there, there just isn't a lot of space for that argument to be had yeah that's true especially looking at those type of numbers it's there it's not kind of thing exactly yeah (laughs) and I'd love to hear too then for those who are kind of in this space of I could say almost a good like three quarters of this podcast listenership probably aren't investing or don't really have um, the idea of how to start that so what are like one or two of the first tips or steps that you tell a lot of people to start to look into when they're wanting to dive into finance or investing? Okay, so the the finance and investing really, it kind of, it sounds really complex and complicated because we've got this massive big, you know, financial industry that, Mm -hmm. you know, with the impenetrable language and terminology that they use and you kind of just think that, that you can't make it. But Actually, just just beginning with something simple like opening a retirement account that you can manage yourself in the States, that would be your um, Roth IRA. Mm. Uh, it's a really good account. You know, it's it's really good and really lenient towards, you know, taxes. So that is just very, very simple account that you can open up in the States. It's Roth IRA in the UK. It's something like stocks um, and shares ISA or a SIP in UK as well, which is essentially self-investing personal pension. And you can start putting, you know, some small amount of money there and just start playing with it. Just, and you know, I'm not talking about, you know, making $10,000 investment into Bitcoin tomorrow mm. because that is a little bit, that is a little bit on the madness side, but you can really quite quickly find your way around you know how it actually works just with very very small steps and the the one single biggest mistake that I see people make is to essentially let a third party look after their financial matters the the status quo is there that you know we've got these large financial companies that look our finances and that you don't really know how where why they are invested like they are. Um, and this is a mistake that can cost millions of people up to half of their retirement fund sometimes. So 
People don't know this, but if your assets are invested in a mutual fund with high fees, instead of retiring with a half a million dollars, for example, you could retire with half of that. And this is just the fees that could very easily eat up about 50% of your full retirement. And nobody talks about it. Now, you then have got the trading costs and taxes on top of that, which might actually mean that you will be living on eating cardboard by the time you will, you will retire. And this is in spite of working hard your whole life. And I think the, the, my biggest heartbreak is I see entrepreneurs that are working harder than anyone else. These are the people that work 20 hour days, mm-hmm. you know, to make their business work. And their business is this amazing opportunity to actually do something themselves and get their finances, you know, under control and really secure that retirement early because the the the, the journey to financial security is way earlier than people think. If your business is profitable, I'm not saying, you know, you're a millionaire, but if your business is 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 turning good profits, you can secure a very good lifestyle within 10 or 15 years. And by securing a really good lifestyle, I what I mean is all your bills and the basic cost of living are covered for the rest of your days, for as long as you live. That's a great note. I really believe when it comes, like you said, in the retirement, so many people, they push it off. It's one of those things that I've noticed happens so often is as humans were kind of trained to worry about the right now or what's coming mm-hmm. in the right now versus later on. And that's where I think there was a quote that I heard months ago or even years ago that was, if you can just start investing now, you know, in your 20s or 30s or however old you are, the amount that you will see change in just a decade or especially two or three yes. more is amazing. This this is the beauty of the compounding effect. So the, these small spends every single day, when you look at reinvesting them, what then happens is you your assets are essentially are starting to pay you dividends and they're essentially paying you interest. So within a couple of years, you're starting to earn interest on the interest that your assets have then earned previously. Mm. And it's a snowball effect that is quite slow and steady to start off with. But come year five and six, you really start it going. Like you really start seeing it ha- like going somewhere. And I also believe that the very presumptions on which the modern financial in- industry was built are actually flawed. Now, I think the idea that we should have professionals managing our money is is just ludicrous. I believe relying on professionals to manage our money money is as ludicrous as relying on professionals to bring up our children. Mm. Now, all parents, you know, hear me out for a second. All parents I've ever spoke to feel like they have no idea what they're doing. And let's be honest, they are all winging it. They have no previous experience or any child ruling qualifications to speak of. Yet they are given this responsibility for a new life and messing that one up brings consequences way more important than 
you know, any sort of potential financial loss that you might have made because you've made a bad decision. All parents are exhausted, confused, constantly questioning whether they're doing it right. And quite frankly, them themselves are dealing with their own personal challenges, which have got nothing to do with the kid that has just took over their life. And when you think about it like that, parents are certainly not the best qualified, mm. often not, not the most experienced to bring up their own ch- child. So surely leaving our kids to be brought up by the professionals who are educated and doing just that would be better than our imperfect selves taking on such responsibilities. So so why don't we? And the reason why we don't do that is deep down we know that we will care for our kids better than anyone else. No professional will be as invested in our kids as we are. And no amount of knowledge, certificates, diplomas or experience will outweigh, will outweigh that. Mm. And I believe the same analogy goes for managing our assets and investments. I have no idea whoever came up with, the, with this grand concept that giving the power of money and, and our retirement to someone that we don't even meet ever has ever been a good idea. I it this is just something that I just find really mind-boggling. <laughs> well, and I think too, like that's something I learned when I first started my business is, you know, mm-hmm. the people, the person who's going to be most invested in your business is you. And same thing goes for your finances as well is if you think that, you know, your team, let's say your virtual assistant or whoever is going to be more invested in your business, you're wrong. <laughs> same thing with your accountant. They're just there to or, you know, um branch manager, whoever it is, they're just there to help you, but they're not really looking for your best interest, you know, the most invested that they can be. And that's why it really allows for us to take a step back and say, how can we actually step up more so and take more responsibility? Because I think that's what it comes down to as well for a lot of this is that sometimes, definitely, I understand this for Mm -hmm. a lot of people investing in finance can be scary, but sometimes I don't think they also want to take accountability or responsibility for it too, if that makes sense. Ah, yes. Now, (laughs) um, do you remember when we were talking about the the, the confidence and the sort of the mindset behind money? Mm -hmm. Um, I just did a live actually in my group um, just earlier on this evening, and we were talking about the surprising side effect of monitoring your net worth. Mm -hmm. And in the live, I essentially talk about the fact that the minute you start sorting out your finances, your self-worth goes up. Mm -hmm. And the, the two are so closely linked and related. To me, they are almost like the same thing. And I do find that self-worth is very misunderstood subject because it's not final, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like you've got all the self-worth in the world or you don't have any of it. The areas in your life where you do have high self-worth are the areas of your life that you have taken responsibility for, that you have decided to master and to really find out about it. And we all have it, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's public speaking, whether it's working with animals, whether it's, um, you know, Instagram, we all have the areas of our life or the pockets of knowledge that we are absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. And our Mm -hmm. self-worth there is high. 
the, but then you kind of look at the areas of our life where we haven't perhaps taken as much responsibility, which I I do understand that finances are that, you know, forgotten about mm-hmm. area for a lot of people. And then the self-worth then in that area of life kind of drops a little bit. But what I would like, you know, you to encourage really is separate the 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 parts of your life that you don't feel good about because just because you're not good at finances doesn't mean that you're not worthy as a person. Mm. All that means is that you haven't yet made time and effort to learn about it. That's all that it is. And I think we sometimes get so confused and so drawn into the fact that we might you know, not be as good as someone else, that we might not be able to do it as well as they do. And all all there is, is that the person that we are looking at has focused on whatever area that we feel a little bit inferior to them about. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Especially in this online space, I think comparison can be really, really huge. (laughs) And especially for finances, I think that's probably one of the biggest, I think finances and then Instagram follow numbers are probably the two biggest (laughs) ones people uh, like get hung up about. Yeah. And, you know, there was a, there was a study that Fidelity brought out, I think it was back in 2016 and the numbers were pretty shocking. So um, they were um, researching specifically women. And the the numbers were just incredible. You know, most of women out there wanted to know more about finances and money. Um, Most of them, I think it was something like 80% of participants felt like they couldn't talk about money with their closest friends Mm. and family for reason, for for various reasons. You know, Mm. they were either brought up like I was that, you know, it's a bit, rude to talk about money and all that that you shouldn't be really mentioning it you can't really discuss you know salaries and things like that because it's just inappropriate and I just could never really understand why did we elevate money that is it's it's just it's just an energy you know mm-hmm. I mean money is just um, it's just something that we can exchange to get value from someone else it's almost like a whole a, a holder of value mm. because if you've got a slab of um you know meat for example that will not hold value it will go off within a couple of days so you need to convert it into money otherwise you're just going to lose it mm-hmm. so i i see money as a holder of value that i can then exchange with different people so i don't see it as being anything evil but quite you know money in quite a lot of cultures actually um has been really just elevated to the same status as sex and religion. It's mm. just something that you just can't talk about because it's inappropriate. That is... And I don't think it's doing us any favors. No, it's not. I, I remember there was something I was listening to a while ago that was uh, one of the the boys who kind of grew up into a man, his parents talked freely about money, and so did mm-hmm. he later on. And his girlfriend at that time would always ask him, or tell them, stop asking people what their rent is because it's not something that's common to say, but it's because it's so normalized to him. But in the vast majority of people, money or talking about, especially numbers or salary, it's so 
it's just hold so high. There's even, which I love, there's a series on YouTube that shows people's, let's say they're 100K a year salary in yep. New York City and they go over their bank account, but their faces are hidden. That's how crazy it is that people are afraid to show their face and to show how much value and like how much they're actually making. Yeah, no, absolutely. There was just something so vulnerable about money and I just mm-hmm. I still haven't actually got exactly to the to the bottom of it I mean don't get me wrong I've got data from my mm-hmm. clients but I'm I'm still actually just working on the numbers of what is it that makes us so tied up that makes our self-worth so tied up to the amount of money that we are making it's a and I think <laughs> and I think that this is essentially what we're doing because if if our own identity wasn't tied up to it, we wouldn't be so awkward about it and so secretive mm. about it, right? Um, and I do, and I actually do think that there is something about our identity that we are protecting I by think, not yeah. discussing it publicly. But I also think that this is the way to um, to get through it is to actually open up these discussions, have these you know, uncomfortable discussions about, oh, you know, I did buy that dress last week, whatever. I I really didn't want to. I feel guilty about it now. Well, let's talk about the guilt. Mm. Let's not make you feel bad because you bought the dress. Let's talk about guilt. Where is that coming from? And let's have those like really uncomfortable, weird conversations around the fact, you know, are women actually better investors than men? Do women actually earn less than men? Because I think that the world right now is changing so quickly that these old um, or these, you know, these statements that perhaps were true five years ago might not be true anymore. But I don't think that the data is really there to start looking at it. So the only way of knowing is really to have these conversations and open up a little bit in the safe spaces. I fully agree with you. And I that's one of my favorite things about being in the entrepreneur space. The ones who are, for the most part, the real deal are willing to talk to you, especially if you're a client or something like that. They're willing to talk to you about the money and that kind of stuff because it comes in relationship to all that we do. But I want to make sure that we get to one of these, probably my favorite part about the podcast, because I feel like I could talk to you about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing that I uh, do at the end of the podcast it's called a rapid fire round where I ask um, you as a guest just a couple questions that are really quick that you can answer within first word or first thought that comes into your mind. So it's usually about six questions and are you ready? Okie doke. Okay. So the first one is the your favorite book you've ever read. Okay. So the favorite book, uh, it's probably How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis. Mm, awesome. What is your favorite word or phrase you use daily? Yeah, it's the name of my dog and not a day goes by that I don't use it a lot. I love that. Um, If you weren't an entrepreneur, what would you have been? Uh, I I would probably be this just naughty kid at school that didn't never like quite made it. And then this like awkward employee that was just being bummed from jobs to jobs. I was I was pretty unmanageable even in my corporate career. So I probably wouldn't have ended up well in the corporate industry. (laughs) (laughs) I totally understand that. Um, What is something that you're not very good at or working to get better at? 
Um, okay, a relationship with my brother. Mm. I've got a very tricky relationship with my brother. We are very different people, but um, it is improving by a lot just in the in the last nine months. But I do recognize that there is still quite a way to go for us. Yeah, relationships are always, especially with family, are always going to be a fun one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to hear them for you, which I think I can, I know your answer might be, but I want to ask anyway, is what is one characteristic that you believe every entrepreneur should have? Um, tenacity. Mm. Do not give up. Um, and And I just... I know that we are starting to talk about it more um, and we are starting to open up about our failures, but I, I can't tell you enough um, like how many wrong decisions I've made and how many failures I've made and how many times I've made an absolute idiot out of myself just to get some somewhere. And in the in the grand scheme of things, none of these things matter. Mm. Um, and you need to, as an entrepreneur, you need to put your pride or ego aside. And actually, instead of um, trying to target goals, try and target failures. Because mm. I can I can ensure you, if you target failures as one of your KPIs as well as the goals you will get to where you're where, what it is you're seeking way quicker I fully agree with that <laughs> uh, what are two tools mindset or resources that you think every entrepreneur needs to make their business successful okay two tools um the first tool for me is um a good budgeting tool um for you and your business um mm-hmm to essentially manage your cash flow, um, which I am quite passionate about. Mm -hmm. The second tool that I think every entrepreneur needs is either an animal or a friend Mm -hmm. that is going to keep you sane for the next couple of years, (laughs) that is going to drag you away from the laptop after you've just done 20-hour shift and you still think it will be a good idea to write a blog for your business. You need someone to get your bottom outside into the world and live a life and eat a normal diet. And I just, I find it so easy to overwork in the business, especially if you're, you know, really, really passionate about it. It it, it, it is not a sustainable technique. It is not sustainable um, practice to just work yourself to the ground and do not do, don't ever dare or try and call it a passion. You are just burning yourself to the ground. <laughs> That's very very true. Okay, now one last question is: What does success look like to you in your own eyes? Okay, so in to me, the success looks like um, financial security, and by financial security, I mean that. I don't need to work another day in my life Mm -hmm. if I don't want to. I think our world would be way happier place if we were all coming from the same place and if we were all leading our businesses from the place where we don't have to work. We go to work because we truly, incredibly love what we are doing. So for me, um, financial security, having time in my day to ride a horse to walk my dog and to study 
and I would be happy. (laughs) I love that. So now that we talked, I mean, a good amount about everything, but especially about your present, I'd love to talk a little bit about your future. So what are a couple of things you're currently working on to give the listeners a little taste on what they can look out for? Okay, so um, right now I am working quite hard on re-recording my beta course. So I've I've launched the course um, last year. Um, that essentially takes people through the, you know, through the setting up the investments and all that. So I'm re-recording that, that, that I will be releasing that probably in the next two months. Um, so that is on the scene. But also actually what I'm trying to do is is bring way more um, behavioral economics into the world of entrepreneurs. So this is looking at, you know, pricing strategies and all that, because actually what I see is quite a lot of our marketing still operates on very outdated marketing strategies that that people know now. Mm. And I do think that we are sometimes being played as well, not not by, you know, bad entrepreneurs. It's just by media, by the way they portray information. Mm-hmm. So I've studied um, behavioral economics really in the last year quite heavily. So I'm trying to now weave it into the, the trainings that I do and into the content that I provide. I, find, I just find it really fascinating how irrational we really are when it comes to money. <laughs> And just shining light on some of these irrationalities um, is has just been so um, so much fun actually so far um, with with my little tribe. So that's what I'm essentially trying to bring is a little bit more, um, you know, finance that is for normal people with um, with no ridiculous language that is impossible to to understand with a little bit of humor and with a little bit of psychology behind it as well. I love that. And where can people find, uh, where can they find you at online? Okay, so online I'm on Facebook at um, Invested Me. I'm also on Pinterest and Instagram, all of them. Um, it's just dot com slash Invested Me. Um, or for um, my group on Facebook, you can find me on Smart Money Society. So we are just building quite a small group over there where we do like live trainings and just like, open conversations about money and things like that. So you can find some resources there. I love that. Well, there you guys have it. Thank you so much, Kat, for coming on. This was a fantastic and super educational podcast episode for everyone on here. Thank you very much for having me and I hope this has been helpful. If you've got any questions, just um, reach out for me on social media and I'll answer them as well as I can. (laughs) Yes. And if you guys, seriously, any questions for her, especially for her Facebook group with the trainings, I think would be fantastic for all of you. So be sure to go in the show notes. That's where all the links will be. And I'll talk to you guys all in the next episode. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I am so excited that you were able to go through it and get some actionable tips out of it. For next steps, make sure you go to danielleclem.com slash ad breakdown to get the complete ad breakdown around what one Insta ad did to help create 559 client leads and 20% sales increase and in launch. Make sure to go ahead there to do that. And DM me at I'm Danielle Clem to go in deeper to the conversation. And last but not least, make sure to leave a rating and review so that this podcast can get out to more amazing people like yourself.